let me just let me let me back up. I don't want to go there just yet. Okay. So 72% of people believe there actually, you know, is a heaven, and 90% of those 72 believe they're going to heaven. And we'll talk about that. Like how? How do you how do you actually go to heaven? First, let me talk about what is heaven like. Like what is, let's study this. What is heaven like? And then we're gonna talk about the myths of how you actually get to heaven. First, right off the bat, let me just encourage you to throw out everything that you have been taught about heaven that wasn't in the Bible. All the movies, all the shows that you've watched that have shaped your understanding of what heaven is like, the novels maybe you've read, none of them get it right, okay? Touched by an angel, all that stuff, you guys. None of it, none of it is not even even the Christian movies. None, I've not seen any accurate depiction or description biblically of what heaven is. So we're not thinking rightly, many of us, many of us, myself included, have not thought rightly about Heaven, I remember being a young Christian and we would sing, you know, a new follower of Jesus and we would sing some of these songs, one of them being Amazing Grace. Love that song, amazing song. But there's this line in there that says, when we've been there 10,000 years, you remember this, guys? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And I remember singing that as a new follower of Jesus thinking, that's a lot of singing. Like, oh, wow, heaven sounds amazing. <laughs> when do we get to stop singing, though? <laughs> and so I just, to me, quite honestly, listen, as a, as a new follower of Jesus, this heaven thing sounded very boring to me. My picture of heaven was, was very much um, created by and sculpted by culture and movies and imagination. You know, the whole fat baby with a harp and wings on the cloud kind of thing. <laughs> this is like, this is the, the weird stuff that I think we have in our minds, and I told you last week about the devil's strategy, right? Like if I was the devil, I'd try to convince you that there wasn't a hell, right? Or if you're a follower of Christ, to just try to have you put it out of your mind. That way you'd live selfish lives, self-seeking lives, looking for comfort in this world, and you just would not, not live for the reality of, of eternity. Now on the other side of it, today I wanna to tell you if I was the devil, then I would try to convince you that heaven is boring. Heaven is boring. And you know what? It's so boring, you should just live it up now. You better live it up and soak it up now, man, because heaven's boring, and you're going to go there because you're good, and heaven's for good people and stuff, so don't worry about it. It's just like, but, but you better like live for now and soak it up because you ain't going to have fun over there. And so if I was the devil, I would try to convince you that heaven is both boring and you are good, and you're going there, okay? So here's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, though, tells us about heaven. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined that God, what God has prepared for those who love him. See, heaven is the opposite of boredom. Heaven is the, apis, uh, the, the absence of everything evil in the presence of God. You, you think of the coolest thing you could ever experience in this life, the most pleasurable thing, the most the tastiest food you could ever bite into, the most incredible, enriching experience in life. And God says heaven is better than that. Nobody has ever imagined how cool, how great, how beautiful, how amazing, how pleasurable heaven is gonna be. The Bible says no eye has even seen it or even imagined it, to which many people believe there's gonna be new colors in heaven. We're gonna see things that we have never seen before that we can't even imagine. We're gonna feel things that we have never felt. It will, like we, our minds cannot wrap around the experience of the glory and the beauty of heaven. But in some of these movies, you watch some of these movies, the picture that they paint of heaven is like so bland. 
It's so boring. In fact, like the popular picture of heaven in movies and stuff is everything's white in heaven. White robes, white clothes, white clouds, white, white furniture, it's just all white. Like, why would God create a beautiful technicolor earth and then be like, like, okay, come to our boring, bland heaven now. Enough having fun. It's time to get serious, guys. And it's all white. No, man, it's, that's not it. Com- compared to the glory of earth, heaven is indescribably more glorious. And there is some, there's some beauty on this earth, isn't there? God did a really good job when he created this earth. I've seen some things that are beautiful. I've seen sunsets and sunrises on the east and west coast. I've seen meteor showers. Uh, I've, I've looked up at a desert night sky and a starry night and seen the beauty of, of the glory of, our, of earth's atmosphere. But there is even stuff that I haven't seen. Maybe you've seen some of these. I just want to show you some of the glory of heaven so you can get a picture of how much more glorious the the eternal heaven is going to be. I don't know. Have you ever, and I got some pictures for you. Have Have any of you ever been to the Northern Lights or seen the Northern Lights? Anyone here? It looks, it's one of my bucket lists, man. This one here is the polar lights in Alaska. They can be seen in Greenland and Finland and, and stuff like that, man. It's, it's, it's where these like electrically charged particles released from the sun enter into the Earth's atmosphere and they hit the gas of the Earth's atmosphere and it makes this beautiful light show. I mean, God did that. This is amazing and beautiful. Or how about this? Uh, I've never seen this, fire rainbows. Anyone ever seen fire rainbows these are uh, natural phenomena. They're popularly known as fire rainbows. Their scientific name is circumhorizontal arcs. Nowhere near as cool. I'm going to call them fire rainbows, okay? It's where sunlight hits, hits these um, ice crystals that are carried by um, cirrus clouds. So these cirrus clouds are holding like ice crystals, and sunlight hits these crystals that are held in these clouds, and it creates this amazing arc of this. looks like a rainbow on fire in the heavens. How beautiful is that? This God did that, you guys. Or how about this? These are called light pillars. This optical phenomenon happens in like very cold places like Canada and Russia and Finland. And it looks like that, that rays of light are shooting from the earth and going up to the heavens. But what it is, it's, it's at a certain time of the day where there's both sunlight and moonlight in really dense cold places there are particles, ice particles in the atmosphere that are so small, but the light reflecting and hitting these dense particles look like it's just light shining. The reflecting off of it looks like it's light shining up to the heavens, man. Again, God did that. That is beautiful and amazing. Or how about this? This is crazy, man. Have you ever seen volcanic lightning? Man, this is like terribly awesome and scary stuff right here, man. Looks like a demon's gonna jump out of that thing or something. What's that one show? You know, the Moana, something like that? Looks like that dude. You know what I mean? That guy, the volcano dude. It's called a dirty thunderstorm, volcanic lightning. It's literally where volcanoes actually produce lightning. The ash picks up like static electricity. And from within the volcanic eruption itself, it creates lightning, man. It's just amazing how amazing so so i'm just showing you these so you can see like it's not only heaven is not only indescribably and immeasurably more beautiful and glorious than earth but it's also the absence of all evil so so in heaven there's no death there's no pain there's no sorrow or sickness there's no fear or stress anxiety there's no sleepless nights 
There's no betrayal or abuse or heartache or divorce or disease or illness, no violence or injustice, no racism, no getting up in the middle of the night and going to the bathroom. Your prostate is perfect in heaven. There's no bad breath in heaven. Praise the Lord. Come on. There's, there's no Mondays in heaven. Come on now. There's no that time of the month in heaven. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Come on. Boring? Are you kidding me? Heaven is the opposite of boring. Man, it's the absence of evil in the presence of our good God. But it's impossible for me to adequately explain and describe to you heaven. Because it is indescribable. It's beyond our imagination. No eye has seen and no mind can even fathom. So although I can't do it justice, I'm going to do the best I can today uh, to share some of the realities of heaven through the description of the scriptures. I'm going to let the scriptures speak for themselves of how heaven is described, and we'll talk about some of the myths that are out there of how you get there. To do that, we're going to study the book of Revelation together. If you all aren't familiar with your Bible, Revelation is the final book of the Bible, and the apostle John wrote it, and he was given a vision by Jesus about all things end times, the final things and the end of all days, and he gives him this vision so that we can have awareness and understanding and clarity about not only the end times, but about the afterlife. So in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then the rest of the book of Revelation is actually about this new heaven and this new earth. Now, let me show you this image I showed you last week about the afterlife and the timeline to give you some clarity as to where we're at in the study today of heaven. So, y'all, so you have your earthly existence. And then what happens after we die? Everyone's going to die someday. Remember, one out of every one of us is going to die. So 100%. So we all die. Now, now, we go to one of two places, whether we're a believer or an unbeliever. Now, this is where Jesus actually said, I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. This is what happens. Uh, believers go to a place of, interme it's, called, it's called an intermediate heaven or the first heaven or paradise. Some people told me after last week's service, they're all, oh, I didn't know you guys believed in purgatory. No, 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 no. This is not purgatory. Purgatory is very, very different. Purgatory is a, is a place of purification for believers where they get more suffering so that they can like get rid of more of their sin before they can go before a clean, perfect God. This is not that. This is what, and the reason why some people call it like paradise or the first heaven is because there is more in our Bibles about the new heaven and the description of the new heaven than there is of this first heaven. First heaven literally described is just the, the dwelling place of God. So this is heaven. This is heaven. This is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. This is heaven, but it is a first heaven or a paradise. It is a temporary one because God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Now that's where believers go. Now, before they go there, this is how they go there. Remember week one? There's a great white throne judgment. Those who are, names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those who are not. That's who gets to go to the first heaven. And if your name's not written in the Book of Life, you go to Hades. Now there is a... When the resurrection happens, those who are in Christ are resurrected for rewards. That's the second judgment. That's when it happens. Some of you ask, well, when do those happen? First and second. First judgment happens immediately, the great white throne judgment. The second judgment happens at resurrection. When you're resurrected and you get your new body, you get all the rewards now and you go into new heaven. Those who don't have Christ are not resurrected to reward. They're resurrected to eternal separation from God. So, 
What does the book of Revelation say about this new heaven, this new earth that God is creating for us? Let's let the Bible speak for itself. Four things that you need to know about heaven. Okay, write these down. Number one, heaven is a real place, you guys. It is physical. It is literal. It is tangible. It has dimensions to it. It's not just someplace floating in the clouds. It's not nirvana. It's not a dream world, okay? It is a real place, not a state of being. Look at verse 14 of chapter 21. It says, the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured with uh, the city with the rod and found it to be 1,200 stadia in length and as wide and high as it was long. So that would be about 14 thousand miles in every direction. The Bible goes on to tell us and describe this place that the walls are 216 feet thick of solid jasper. The the streets are, are made of transparent gold. Okay, the gates of heaven are made from a single pearl. And and, and there's no sun. There's no like sun, the star sun that we have lighting up, giving us day uh, on earth. There is no sun in heaven. But the, the light never dims because heaven is continuously lit up by the glory of Jesus Christ. The light of the Son of God constantly and continuously gives light to all things. I'm just trying to give you a picture, man, of this is actually a literal place that is more magnificent and glorious and indescribably beautiful. We just have a, a taste of what John gives us through this revelation that he received. Number two, heaven is a right place. It's a right place, meaning it's where things are made right. Our relationships on this earth, you guys, they're, they can go wrong and they do go wrong. In heaven, they're made right. Our bodies go wrong and start to go the wrong direction. In heaven, it's going to be made right because evil is absent. Animal and plant kingdoms return to their original state. The Bible tells us that the lion is going to lay down next to the lamb. There's not going to be the destruction and the death. There's going to be no Dr. Phil in heaven, no policemen and police women in heaven. No insurance is needed in heaven. There's no weapons and no armies, no sorrow. All the sorrow, death, and even the painful memories of the past are gone. They're removed. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For that old order of things of this earth, they have passed away. The Bible tells us that we're going to be, be giving glorified bodies that are imperishable, meaning like they never perish. They never have a decline. Our bodies eventually go to the decline. Okay, this, these bodies forever and ever and ever are imperishable. They never change. They will always be perfect. Come on, heaven is the right place. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is also a relational place. It's not a place where you're going to be a servant and you're going to play a harp and sing on a choir. No, you're, it's a very relational place. You're going to recognize people in heaven. You know that? You're going to recognize the people that have gone on before you that are there right now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17 tells us there will be a huge family reunion with the master. Can you imagine how emotional that experience is going to be when you enter into heaven and you get to see all the people that you've loved and you've lost who are ahead of you in heaven? 
like I know it when I was a young man, I didn't I thought that was cool and all, but it wasn't very emotional. But now after I've lived some life and I've lost people and loved people and they've gone on ahead of me to heaven, I'm looking forward to this great family reunion because it's a relational place. You're gonna know people and connect with people relationally, not just people, you're gonna connect with God in a new level of intimacy that you've never had. No longer is it going to be, I can't see him. I don't really know where he's at. I can, I can feel his presence and his spirit, uh, but I don't know where he is. God wants a family. God wants relationship with you. That's why he wants you in heaven. Look at verse three says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them just as God did with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. God would walk alongside. God wants to walk amongst us. God wants to come alongside you. He wants to have connection and community and relationship. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And what's cool about this relational experience of heaven is we see in the Bible that nations are described in the new heavens and the new earth. Like there's actually gonna be ethnic distinction in heaven that God created the nations for his pleasure and God wants them to remain forever. Look at Revelation 21, verse two. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Which by the way, you're gonna, you're gonna have vineyards and fruit in heaven. So, you're gonna, so that means you're gonna work vineyards. They're not gonna grow themselves. The Bible tells us that you're actually gonna build houses, that you have a work to do in heaven. Some of y'all thought you were going to your eternal retirement. No, there's work in heaven. Here's the difference though. Here's, here's the difference. The, the work here on earth, don't compare it. Remember, immeasurably, you can't imagine how good. The work here is stained by the fall of man. Our work is by our sweat and our blood and our effort because of the fall of man and the fallen nature of the world that we live in. The work that God has for us in glory is a work of passion, love, and joy. There will be no like drudgery of work at all in heaven. It will be enjoyable. And he says, and the leaves of the tree are for healing the what? The nations. God, God likes the different looks of people. He loves the nations. God is not going to turn everybody into English-speaking Americans when they get to heaven. You all know that, right? And he's not going to turn everybody into Jewish-speaking Jews either. He's not. Now, so if anyone says, well, I don't know if I want to be there if they're in there, you're probably right. You ain't going to be there. Okay? Because the, the, the ethnicities and nations exist there for God's glory, for God's creative glory. So the question that we get often asked is, oddly enough, is people want to know if their dog's going to be in heaven or their pet. My pet be in heaven? The Bible actually says there's animals in heaven. There's animals, and they're not at war with each other. They're perfected and glorified. Now, is it your dog? I don't know about that. I don't know about that theologically. I can't really say. There'll be animals. I don't know if your animal is going to be in heaven. Okay. Cats, for sure, not in heaven. No, I'm just kidding. For those of you cat lovers, I'm just messing with you. I love you. All right. I'm just a dog person, okay? <laughs> Heaven's going to be, it's perfect though, right? Right? There, there, there are going to be dogs there. They're not going to be bark, no barking, though. They're all going to be like house mansion trained. They're all going to be like no chewing your shoes and stuff. It's going to be great. All right. Here's the fourth thing. Heaven is also a rewarding place. It's, we've talked a little bit about this, right? When we get to heaven, we want to hear, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Jesus wants to and will reward us. Look at Revelation chapter 12, uh, 22, verse 12. Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I'll give to everyone according to what he has done. So there are rewards that he's going to give us based on our faith. He's going to reward us based on our hope, based on our service, based on our generosity. He's going to reward us. Even like he says, even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, I'm not going to let that go without reward. Now, this sounds great. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't heaven sound amazing, you guys? But the real question is, like, how do I get there, though? Like, what's, so, so I want to dispel with you some myths about how to get to heaven and look at the truth of God's word. Some myths about how to get to heaven and the truth of God's word. Now, 2 Corinthians 13 tells us that we should examine ourselves. And I hope that today this is a safe place for all. There ain't no one judging you, pointing a finger at you. But every single one of us, it would, it would do us well to examine ourselves before God. To see if any of these myths, any of this false theology, bad doctrine, bad practical Christianity has crept its way into our life and given us a, um, a false reality ourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. I got four myths and the truth That'll combat them. Okay, here's the first myth. Number one, that you can get to heaven by being a good person. Now, this is the big one. This is the big one right here. And it's like most, all religions kind of have this, this concept, right? It just makes sense, right? If you're a good person, you should, go to, you should be able to go to heaven. Good people go to heaven, right? And I, thankfully, I'm a good person. You know what I mean? And, and, I'm, and I'm good. Uh, I told you guys last week, God does not send bad people to hell, right? He doesn't. We choose. We choose our eternal destination. So God doesn't send bad people to hell. Let me tell you the other side of this, heaven side of this, okay? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Okay? There's, there's a big difference. Jesus said that that gateway to destruction, that road to destruction is wide. The road is wide and that door is huge. It's our default destination. Humanity is default on the broad road to destruction. Some people believe that, that there is like a heavenly scale <laughs> and you got to do just more good than bad. You know, by the time God calls your number, you better make sure the scale's tipped to the, to the good side. As long as you got 51% on this side, it's going to outweigh all the bad and you'll eke into heaven, man. So just try to, there's a problem with that concept is like, who's, who's, grading this and what curve are they grading and how do you get a bad grade and how much how much does one thing count towards my grade versus the other thing like if I if I smack my kid is it worse than me cussing out my boss like what's going to be the where's the scale here because I got to know like if it's if it's based on good then I got to know someone give me God should have gave us a grading scale do you know what I mean if it was based upon how good and you're going to see in just a moment I really hope that if you if you believe that that falsehood that myth that that you, you got to be good enough, and good people are the ones who go to heaven. I, I, I think that that's not the right. You don't want to be measured by your goodness. You don't. You really don't. Okay. And good in and of itself is, it's a moving target, man. It's just, it's constantly changing in every generation what is good and what is not. For instance, let me just illustrate that, illustrate this a little bit. Um, in our modern world, women's, with like women's rights, we think like, yeah, duh, man. We're raising a generation where men and women are, have equality. There's dignity in both, and it is self-evident. None of us would question that, but if our view of dignity, that women are good, 
That means before the 20, 20th century, only a dozen men would have probably made it into heaven. Because we can't bear the thought of a woman that she would be dismissed and marginalized and mistreated, but not too long ago, that was the assumption. It was self-evident that men were better than women and that men were the greater species than women. And in some parts of the world, that's still the assumption. Well, I think that is terribly wrong. How could a good God let a bunch of men into heaven who believed this whole thing? Again, I just don't think there'd be a bunch of men who made it to heaven before the 19th century if we're measuring based on goodness. Nah, come on. Some of you women are like, I'm liking this. This is good. This is good. <laughs> well, hold on now. Because based on our current understanding of equality and dignity of all people, our current thoughts about slavery, I mean, we would, we, we, I don't think there would be anyone before the 16th century who would actually go to heaven, except for slaves. Because all over the world, it was self-evident. It was just, yeah, duh. It was an assumption that some people were born to own and to rule, and some people were born to be owned and be ruled. And I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm talking about all over the world. In every single culture, people were owned. We think, oh my goodness, what can be worse than somebody treating another human being like a possession or somebody treating their cattle better than another human being? What could be worse? That's not good. That's bad. That is not good. And I would just think anybody who did that, Anyone who acknowledged that was good or supported that was good. Maybe they didn't even do it, but they were like, man, I'm not rich enough to own me some slaves, but one day I'm gonna get me some slaves. If anyone thought that, supported this ideology, I would say that's, that's horrible. None of those people should go to heaven based on their goodness. But in, in that case, before the 16th century, wow, like who made it to heaven? See, my point is here that good is a moving target, isn't it? And some of you are thinking right now, like, but wait a second, Pastor. No, 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 no. It's not a moving target because God is the standard of good, right? No, his word is the standard of good. That's the, he gets to determine what's good, not culture, not generations, not what other people think. And you're absolutely right. God is the standard of good. But nowhere in God's word do, do, do we see that God says there is a level of goodness or by doing good things and good works, can you actually earn or get into heaven? Nowhere in the scriptures. Sometimes people are like, no, 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 but the Ten Commandments, that's what we're, no, the Ten Commandments are, that's God's law right there. And I, sometimes people have asked, they've told me that, no, that's the Ten Commandments, we need to obey the Ten Commandments. And I ask them, what are the Ten Commandments then? Yeah, you, th you're gonna, you think you're going to be judged by the Ten Commandments, you can't even name them. That's real smart, okay? Here's what Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says. Here's what it says, though. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by what? By works of the law. Rather, through the standard of goodness that God has showed us, he actually made me conscious of how bad I am, of how not good I am, of how I have sin living inside of me. Now, 90% of those who believe there is a, a heaven, 90% believe they're going there because they're good, and they, they've been good enough. But if that were true, I ask you, why did Jesus have to die on the cross then if you could be good to earn it? We could live a million lives and do good works in every single one of those lives and never be good. Here's, here's the truth. You can't be good enough. Good enough is not good enough for God. 
good enough by human standard is not good enough by God's standard. Look what it says in Revelation 21, verse 27. He says, nothing unclean will ever enter my city. He's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Nothing unclean. God says, no unclean thing. I can't be in its presence. Nothing unclean. No one who does shameful things or tell lies will ever enter that city. Only, look what it says, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter that city. Isaiah 64 tells us that all of our good deeds, all the good stuff we do, all of our righteous acts and goodness, they're like filthy rags compared to the goodness of God. Others say, well, well I know how you get to heaven. you got to believe God. There's the, the next myth. You can get to heaven by believing in God. Many people are banking on this one working for them. They have a belief system in God's existence. Some of them even talk to God every now and then, but please hear me. Belief or a belief system does not get you into heaven. Belief doesn't get you into heaven, faith does. And there's a difference. James 2.19 says this, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. It's not about, you can't get to heaven by believing in. You gotta put your faith on Jesus. So here's the truth. You must put your faith on God. Now what's the difference though, believing in and putting your faith on on. Let me try to explain the difference. Statistically, there's probably 10 to 15% of you in this room that are scared or afraid of flying. Afraid of flying in an airplane, okay? Now, here would be the difference between believing and putting your faith on. Those of you that believe in the airplane, believe it can fly. That can fly. It can get there. I believe it. But those who put their faith on it get inside and go on the trip. Those who, those who believe miss out on the journey and don't make it to the destination. Only those who put their faith on can actually, can that vehicle, can that plane take them to the destination that it was intended to. See, it's only, it's, only, it's not your belief in God that's gonna take you to your final destination of heaven. It's your faith on God that can only carry you to the final destination of heaven. Are you guys hearing me, you guys? Romans chapter 10 if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The key word there is Lord. Circle that or something in your notes, man. That key word is Lord. It means he has control. Like I've, I've surrendered my life. I've given my life. I put it on you. I'm, I'm going in the plane. I'm trusting the pilot. It's not in my hands anymore. I give you my life. My life is in your hands. Here's the third myth, that you can get to heaven by being religious. People point to things like how much they pray, how much they read their Bible, how much of the Bible that they know. Maybe they've been baptized. They point to their baptism. They point to church attendance. None of these are going to work. According to Jesus, there's going to be a lot of religious people who don't make it. A bunch of religious people that do religious things. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So many people don't know that God's not looking for the religious things. He's not looking for those things. He's looking for something so much deeper. Titus 1.16 says, There are some people who claim to know God, but their actions show and reveal that they're denying Him. They're denying Him. So what's the truth? You can't get to heaven by being religious. The truth is, you got to become a brand new person. And this is the, 
the mystery and the miracle of salvation is that, is that you can actually be born again. And I know that might sound like religious language or something, but you can get a fresh start. You can be made brand new. This is what Jesus was saying to a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus tells him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus had a trouble with this. You go read that in the, in the scriptures there in John chapter 3. He's like, how in the world can someone be born again if he's a grown man? He says, well, you got to get back in your mom's womb or something? Like, you're making this really awkward, Jesus, about coming into the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus was suggesting and describing that not physically be born again, but that in your soul, that God can purify, can redeem, can cleanse you, can give you a fresh start. You can be born Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. You're not just a polished version of you, a refurbished version of you, a better version of you. No, 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 that version of you is gone. And you are a brand new creation, born again. The old is gone, the new has come. And this fourth one is probably one of the most deceiving ones. The fourth myth is this, that you can get to heaven by praying a prayer. Now, God, I mean, I love, we pray for people all the time and help them prayer, pray prayers of commitment to God. But that prayer doesn't get you to heaven. Or other salvation motions, like some people point to their baptism. Well, I was baptized. Yeah, I'm, or maybe some, if you're Catholic, confirmation or something. Or, you know, I was, yeah, I went to confirmation, you know, and, and, and we're thinking like that act that we did is actually gonna get us in to heaven, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, very bluntly says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet continue to walk in darkness, here's what he said, you're a liar. We lie, and we don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we can have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So again, if I was the devil, I tried to convince you that heaven was boring and that you might as well just live it up right now. Just live it up while you can. I try to convince you that you're good and you don't really need to worry about it because you prayed a prayer or you got baptized. You believe in God and you're, and you're good. You go to church enough. But the truth is, you guys, the truth is, the truth is that it's not by praying a prayer or getting baptized or anything like that. The truth is you have to know him. You have to like personally know him. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did all these things for you. We did religious things. We prophesied in your name. Like we declared your goodness. We cast out demons, man. We helped people out. We performed many miracles. We used our gift for you, God. But I'll reply, Jesus says, I never knew you. Get away from me. Now, that's the opposite of why I want to hear and what I want you to hear. I want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the opposite of that statement. So how do you get, how do you get true salvation? What does that look like? And it's not in your notes, but I want to just read it over you and you to just receive this. Ezekiel is a prophetic book. It gives insight about what true salvation looks like. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. Look what it says. 
This is, and this is like the goodness of the gospel right here. This is like what it means to truly be saved. This is how good it is. Look what he says. I will sprinkle, he's God speaking prophetically. Here it is. I will sprinkle you, sprinkle clean water on you and you will be, what? See, nothing unclean can get into God's presence. You can't. So here's the good news is like, you don't clean yourself up and you can't clean yourself. God says, I will clean you up. I'll sprinkle you and make you clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. So everything that you worshiped in your life, everything that you gave your life to and your affection to and your time to and yourself to, that stains you. I'm gonna sprinkle it all and cleanse it. I'm gonna purify. Nothing, nothing will be present. No impurities in your life, in your heart, in your soul. I will give you a new heart, he says, and a new spirit in you be a new creation. I will remove the heart of stone. You know, the hardness of your heart that happened by worshiping the wrong things, by giving your life to the wrong things and your affection to the wrong things, the hardness of heart that happened. God says, I'm going to remove that and I'm going to give you a tender heart again. A heart of flesh, he says. It'll be tender again. And I will put, and here's, here's the kicker. This is the beauty of the gospel. Look at this, you guys. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow me. Okay, this, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is not following Jesus. True salvation is not outside in. It's not, let me try to just be good and do good and do the right things and be a good person and tip the scale a little bit and maybe after some time it'll affect my heart and I'll just want the right things and want to do the right things and want to be a better person, but let me just focus on just out here just doing it right. That's not true salvation. That's not the promise of God. God says, I will cleanse you. You don't need to do it yourself. I'm going to give you a new heart, new spirit, and then I'll put my spirit in you. And from the inside, I will move you to follow me. Where you used to want and desire the things of the world, you're going to want and desire my word for your life where you used to want to have the pleasures of this world and the comforts of this world. You'll desire my presence. You'll desire to glorify me. I'll move you to do this. I'll change your heart. You used to not know how beneficial it was to get in community and be around people and let iron sharpen iron. But now you'll want it. You'll want it. You'll feel good. You'll know the benefit of it. He'll put a new spirit in you that'll move you to follow him. See the gospel. True salvation is not, it's not outside in. It's not trying harder to affect my inner life. It's allowing God to change me from the inside out. Give me a new heart, a new spirit, and put his spirit in me to move through me. Let me pray that over every single one of you. Come on with your heads bowed and your eye closed today, please. Some of you are here today and you had the wrong perspective of, of heaven. Maybe like me, you thought of heaven as a boring place. And maybe the enemy has convinced you that it was such. And because of that, you didn't focus on it much. You're not preparing for it much. You're, if we're honest, we're preparing for a better earth experience. We're preparing better homes. We're preparing better futures for ourselves here. We're preparing better for our family. And I'm not against any of those things. Those things have their place. Some of us have prepared so much and focused so much on this earth experience. We have forsaken to prepare ourselves for our eternal home. 
It's not what you think it is. It's not boring. It's not bland. It's so glorious. It's so beautiful. It's indescribable. Pure joy. The absence of evil in the presence of godliness.